0: This episode will feature a smattering of pathologizing and stigmatizing terms about bodies. These are not reflective of language that I use or believe in the use of. Please consider your needs before listening to this episode. A multitude of unearned body privileges. I am a white, thin, able bodied woman. And so in this episode, I'm not only acknowledging these privileges, though I'm directly using them to disrupt them and challenge all of us, including myself. I invite you to approach this episode in a similar way. Please remain as open as is available to you, remembering that discomfort. Has to be. It is part of this conversation, no matter the privileges you hold or don't. So, really, the 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 starting point, the where we have to begin, is this so-called obesity crisis, the war on obesity. These terms, in of themselves, reflect a deeply entrenched notion that fat on bodies is always a problem, and furthermore. That past a particular number, regardless of other factors and experiences, our biomedical model places incredibly traumatizing labels on human beings just based on that. So if you are listening right now, you have thin privilege like me, please consider for a moment that when you hear these headlines, imagine hearing that it's your body they're talking about, that it's your body that has become pathologized and medicalized that everything else you are as a human, all you are as a human, is disregarded. Truthfully, as I too have this this thin privilege, we cannot fathom what that is like. Life is harder in a fat body. I want this episode to offer a brave space where we can unpack a lot of this, a lot of why this is the case to move forward to, I hope, a more equitable and valuable understanding on the human experience of living in bodies. So again, right up front, I acknowledge I have a variety of privileges in this space and in this conversation, namely that of being in a small body, a small, able, white body. No one, to my knowledge, has ever asked why I'm wearing a certain item of clothing. No one, to my knowledge, has ever glared at me next to them when I sit in a plane No one, to my knowledge, has criticized what I'm eating or asked me at the gym, why do you bother working out? No one has ever questioned my professional role and ability because of my weight. I have never had to worry about fitting into clothes in a store, into chairs, anywhere, or feeling like everyone was asking, but what about their health? So Becky, please consider that other Beckys have experienced this they have experienced it today and to the becky that has i'm so sorry i'm so sorry you face this and i stand in support of you to say that this is not okay because stigma against fat bodies is enormous if those bodies also happen to be black or brown disabled transgender that stigma increases with each additional marginalized identity and it's this stigma that actually directly drives access or perceived access to care, to healthcare, in many cases. So, in short, because of anti fat bias, because of the unconscious beliefs that go with that, because they're not explored in healthcare education, and that extends to also health related research like nutrition research. That bias is extending beyond access to care. It's including things like insurance and dosage of medicine. It is infiltrating every level. As a proudly health at every size practicing anti-diet nutritionist, eradicating weight stigma, challenging weight stigma is part of my overall work. It's within my profession and wider health sphere that there's so much work to be done. A 2014 study, I actually have referenced this before on the podcast, there's a 2014 study in the International Journal of Eating Disorders, and this found, and I quote, among professionals treating eating disorders, 56% observed other professionals in their field making negative comments about obese patients, and 35% indicated that practitioners feel uncomfortable caring for those who are obese, end quote. The approach to weight by healthcare as a whole is a huge reason why we've ended up with this old adage of fat equals death and weight loss is the best thing at all costs. And this is often where I meet folks in the throes of grappling with these really doomful, harmful concepts. I'm Nadia Felsch, nutritionist and intuitive eating counselor. In this podcast, we explore the practical aspects of leaving the diet mentality behind and finding your own food and body freedom. In this episode specifically, I'll be diving into why fat isn't the problem that we think stigma is. And I have the utmost privilege and pleasure of being joined in this exploration by Jeffrey Hunger, PhD. Jeff is an assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at Miami University, which is in Ohio, for those playing the geography game. That really throws me as an Australian why we name things like that. So research in Jeff's lab examines how stigma shapes well-being, not just mental and physical, but also social and financial. A paper of Dr. Hungers, I love referring to him in that way, I think it's so poignant. A paper of his radically changed my understanding in this space, and I am eternally thankful to him and his brilliant colleagues for that paper, that contribution. And we do spend some time covering the paper towards the end of our chat. So in our exploration, Jeff and I cover so much fascinating, valuable ground, including right up front, we just get straight into COVID and fatness links. I'm sure you've seen those headlines. I know my clients have and have felt terrified by them. And and that really extends to another area we discussed, which is the the links between health and weight and, and really what is lost in translation as we see links you know, like this, this health and weight link going into popular media. So what's lost there? We actually explore this fascinating parallel between sexual orientation and weight from the perspective that these are concepts easily under one's control and to be fixed. We talk about the health outcomes of fat people really shouldn't be surprising to us. We're going to get into that. What actual weight stigma impacts And from the perspective, particularly of research, which is Jeff's, you know, that's his thing, that's his vibe, the framework that that begins from. So really, when we're talking about some of the, hey, this research says fat is bad for this, what we're not assessing collectively, certainly not in media, is how did that research come about in the first place? What questions are they asking? So we dive into that. The enormous power of language and lived experience and how the impact of healthism in this space is really key. We also cover, which is so close to my heart, both a top down and bottom up approach to shift away from this model, this weight stigmatizing model that is hurting people, is killing people. And my intention for this episode is very, very clear. I want to offer you the full picture. Of why it is that you might see, hear, or feel the way that you do about weight and about bodies, maybe your own body. And I want you to know that you're not stuck there with those ideas. I really hope you enjoy this wide ranging discussion, this deeply valuable discussion. And I'll be back at the end with a heap of resources and a wrap up for you.
1: You know, folks can walk into the exact same situation with one of two perspectives you know that they can they can they can literally walk into seeing evidence for some phenomenon and look at it one of two ways you know you can look at it through the the, the dominant lens that says you know let's just use data on weight and 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 covid outcomes for example yeah. you know yeah. you can you can you can walk into that literature which is a huge literature. And there's plenty of people playing in that space, and you're often gonna oftentimes gonna see a relationship between weight and COVID outcomes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, You know, -hmm. at least the my last read of this, Christy Harrison has a fantastic thread of all of these things on Twitter. I I absolutely love love that. You know, but like even let's just like let's even just kind of approach it at saying yes, we do see that relationship. Let's say, and I will say that with a, a bunch of caveats, let's say we do see a relationship between weight, out, uh, weight and outcomes in COVID. There's all sorts of folks that want to make the direct relationship kind of mm-hmm. argument, you know? There's mm-hmm. so many people that want to say, you, you know what caused that? What directly caused yeah. <laughs> that was like like pointedly, directly caused that was, that, was fatness. Yeah. And was was weight or was adiposity or was something, and that's like the argument that so many people just want to like really quickly launch, mm. and oftentimes that's just like not not the case. Like you know mm. we 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 know this is not the case. We know that like even if and again this is a big even, like the relationship between you 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 followed me long enough to know that like I will shit talk on the relationship between weight and health. Um, that relationship is pretty tenuous, yeah, at best. Like it's, it's <laughs> at best. Um, but even if we see, even if we see relationships between weight and say COVID outcomes, mm-hmm. we need to step back and think mm-hmm. about how can we how can we interrogate why those relationships exist.
2: Exactly.
1: You know, like like it's it's not something that's inherent about weight it it's something that is reflecting the fact that higher body weight individuals especially in the US mm-hmm. um, get really poor care compared to their 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 thinner counterparts it's that you know higher body weight individuals are less likely to actually even engage with absolutely. the healthcare system absolutely because you know and, and and not surprisingly because we know that this is a this is a system and an ecosystem that is very much designed to stigmatize them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, like, it's not shocking to me when fat folks do not want to interact with the healthcare system because you oftentimes don't want to, like, walk yourself into a situation in which you're going to be stigmatized and stereotyped.
2: Yeah. Receive trauma experiences, essentially, or re-traumatizing. Really yeah. Yeah. I actually, think this is such a, I think, it, I, I mean, it's all key. It's all critical. I don't want to like push one point up over another, but I think that's a really helpful thing to really like bookmark that obviously research is done by humans. Like let's just kind of spell out the obvious aspect here. It, it is not some perfect situation. Um, it has flaws because human ha- humans have flaws, including myself, but what you just said kind of earlier, I I feel like we have this presentation where the humans doing this research in, in so many cases, it's it, they are they intentionally seek out, does fatness cause this? Right? Or no. I, I guess from my perspective, I think the wrong question is being asked. I think that question demonstrates itself an anti-fat bias. I don't think that's trustworthy. I don't think that's the full picture. I think that the bias is, is so obvious. I mean, maybe to us and, it's very obvious, right? I, mean, I think,
1: I, I think it's, I, I think it's so obvious to us. And I mean, of course I would, I wish it was so apparent mm. to the folks that we interact with, you know, not just folks that are in medicine, but like, you know, folks in nutrition and these Absolutely. different fields like I. I think I think that we in in you know this space, you and I talking, obviously, like we're we're at a place where we are thinking about these things very frequently. Mm -hmm. And so it's easy to think that like, why do not people think about these things? (laughs) You know, like why are you like where the fuck are you going wrong? This is my language again. Totally. Um, No, I love it. Like where 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 are you not where where are you failing? Like, you know, what's your Mm -hmm. like hiccup? But then You know, it's, it's super easy for us to think about this and, but it's also super easy to draw parallels to things like these conversations that would have happened 20 or 30 years ago when it talks, you know, when we think about like things like sexual orientation, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like we could be having the same conversation about like, about sexual orientation and, uh, you know, the stigma associated with that 20 or 30 years ago.
2: Because, mm. again, there is that, that uh, I, I assume what you're kind of, like, drawing yeah. here is this inherent heteronormative approach to everything. Yeah. So when we're entering research with this as a default, so to speak, right? So anything outside yeah. of that is is different or not normal
1: (laughs) yeah exactly exactly like you know thinking about like what are the defaults that you're interested in Mm -hmm. but then also like even taking it a step further in terms of thinking about like you know in the 1970s and the 1980s there was a lot of interest in thinking about fixing quote-unquote gay you know fixing fixing being queer This
2: is a problem. This is
1: a problem to fix. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like problematizing being a queer kid. Mm -hmm. You know? And there are parallels to that because you know, in the 70s and 80s, the idea that sexual orientation was malleable maps onto what we think about today about weight being clearly easily under someone's control. You know? Yes. And neither of those, neither of those are super true, you know like both of them have situations in which, yes, like I could suppress being gay. I did it effectively until I was 20. Um, uh, You know, just like someone can maybe engage in behaviors to suppress their weight. That Mm -hmm. might be like wildly unhealthy Mm -hmm. um, to do so until they are freed from that, until they are freed Mm -hmm. from those sort of confines. And so, there's these really interesting sort of parallels between Same. being gay and being fat that play out in terms of when we think about stigmatized identities.
2: Yeah. And, and both kind of, I so appreciate that it, it's, I, I I often think when I'm saying, I think particularly headlines, you know, like we know that headlines in media are generally a far cry from, from where the research actually began, or, you know, they're looking at a, of summary and taking the whole the whole piece from that but I think it's that aspect that, that you did share in a in a different wording of the questions that we would ask in research in in let's say health and weight links for instance I think they would look incredibly different and you kind of you touched on that with that COVID link of what are we not looking at here? What do we not know? What are we why is this happening? Yeah. To start with. Yeah. Do you think that the questions would just be wildly different that we would be I
1: asking? Th- I mean, I do. And I think that I would I would hope that we would get to the point of asking wildly different questions in general, you know? Like I think that um <laughs> like I mean in, in my dream, the impossible dream world, you know, obviously. Um but I mean I'm I mean, idealist
2: of, too, don't worry. <laughs>
1: right. Like a lot, I mean a lot of the things that we study. Uh, a lot of these big relationships that we're interested in mm-hmm. become immediately complicated when we t- start to think of the why. You know, mm-hmm. like I think that, um, and this is this is n- no no knock on epidemiology or no no mm-hmm. knock on these these disciplines. Um, like I, some of my best friends are epidemiologists. Um, but sometimes when you're just interested in the distribution of outcomes. Based on different groups, you lose the attention to think about the why. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah, like yes, like we, you know, we may see differential outcomes related to COVID based on your weight. Yeah. Does that mean? you know? Does does that mean that that's the the driver of mm-hmm. those differences? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And. This is the thing that gets lost in the translation of of what we're studying into especially like things that are going into popular press. You know, like totally. what, we're, what we're missing is this this huge intermediate sort of space in which, like, yeah, you know what? No one should be surprised that the health outcomes of fat people are going to be different than the health outcomes of thin people, totally. because like literally every social space in a, a healthcare setting is very anti-fat. absolutely. And so like, no one should be surprised about that. But the top line, whenever those types of studies kind of come out is, you know, you know this, like, it's, it's, Fat people are doing worse when it comes to COVID. Absolutely. Weight, weight is a huge this and that. And it's really just getting folks to, dive just one level down yeah. just go just go one level down and dig into the why mm-hmm. and i talk about these things and i think i've talked about these things in other podcasts uh but like you know we would never draw as direct of a comparison for things like sexual orientation mm-hmm. like you know who's at three times greater risk of depression? Uh, Queer people. Mm -hmm. Am am I ever going to be in a situation in which I'm on a call and being like, you know what? Gay causes depression. Like I'm never, I'm never, I'm never going to walk into a situation and be like, you know what caused that depression? It's gay. Mm -hmm. It's gay. Um, no, it turns out that there's actually an entire social world wrapped around absolutely. these identities that we want to study. Who would have it's said Shocking, shocking. <laughs> I know, I know. It's
2: just, just, it's just little silos, isn't it? Isn't everything in a little vacuum?
1: <laughs> just, I mean, it's absolutely shocking to absolutely. learn that maybe the reason why our identity categories correlate with a health outcome is not because it's something inherent to it, it's that like you know, the rest of the world is a, a, a dick bag. Excuse my language. Absolutely. Um, no, I love
2: dick bag. Is it's, it, it's uh, the world is tough on groups that don't fit defaults, on bodies that don't fit default. Like yeah. the world is rough. It really is. Yeah. I guess what I'm thinking is that the element of potential, but very likely variable confounds that are not necessarily set up in and this may not be necessarily weight loss research but more so that weight health link that they're desperately seeking um could you kind of speak to that aspect of I guess I'm completely aware that researchers work in different ways and you don't represent all of them in the entire world very very clear on that but I guess just to give folks a sense of like This is not the standard. We don't include weight stigma as a standard confound, or sometimes even really basics like income and race. So
1: this is a really important point, though, is that we have, oftentimes when we think about the relationship between weight and health, we see it so frequently being just presented as this very direct one-to-one relationship. Mm -hmm. The heavier you are, the more unhealthy you are. Mm-hmm. And we know, for me, that that is just absolutely not the case. Mm-hmm. There are so many ways in which we see that the relationship between weight and health is complicated, is not straightforward, and is oftentimes definitely not what people think it is. You know, we, we have this assumption, like folks walk around with this assumption that... The heavier you are, the more unhealthy you're going to be. And that's just absolutely not the case. There are are all sorts of different ways in which we can study these things, um, whether it be looking at, you know, both BMI and um, things like physical activity or Mm -hmm. just like trying to figure out different ways in which we can show that just being heavier is just the weakest kind of correlation that we can find with these different health outcomes
2: absolutely and and my understanding is that where that has been done in a more intentional way where we have looked to control for certain elements in research or as you said ask different types of questions have a different perspective over and over that weak link is even weaker it just gets weaker and weaker and weaker, right?
1: Exactly. Like the, the, you know what 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 was originally a pretty weak link between weight and health only gets weaker when we kind of lob challenge after challenge, you know, against it. You know, like you can you can maybe see a correlation between weight and health and then maybe we consider the fact that there are differences in socioeconomic status and we can yeah. tr- control for that or maybe we consider the fact that you know uh, as we've talked about elsewhere weight stigma is incredibly stressful and uh, all the stress that comes along with being uh, you know fat in American society could contribute to these differences that we see or yeah. so many different things and yeah. so it, again, puts us in this position to think about like, okay, sure, we may see a relationship. And I, the, the, the may is a very strong may because <laughs> we, we we know that, that even that, that basic correlation between weight and health itself is kind of tenuous. But if we do see it, like if, if and when we do see it, which we do, we do yeah. see that relationship sometimes like i'm not i'm not someone that's going to walk out here and be like oh we we've, we've never seen a correlation between you know bmi and health like that's just not what i'm going to do but mm-hmm. if and when we do see that correlation let's investigate why mm-hmm. let's think Absolutely. Let's think let's think deeper about the why and not just assume that it's because of some char- characteristic of a person
2: Yeah, the the inherent aspect of the weight itself necessarily exactly like you know, I mean that to be honest is I think the the crux and possibly really hard thing for some people listening to hear is that if we're not asking better or just other questions based on that relationship that may be seen, what does that say about the care for those people that live in those bodies? I think that's unacceptable and that is what we are existing in. Like, I guess what I really want this episode to stand for is that's what we see. We're we're not seeing neutral, you know, ethical, in my opinion anyway, or kind of unbiased research. And I don't even know if that's completely possible in the world, to be honest. I have my own take on that, but this speaks volumes of um i I believe the title of your paper, please correct me if I'm wrong is is the ironic effects of weight stigma. Is that is that right? Yeah. That was a, a paper last last decade.
1: <laughs> last decade. Do you like yeah. that last decade? A, little, a couple of years ago. Uh,
2: but but that I, I guess how I think of it is the weight of weight stigma. Like that in itself, I don't know if folks who haven't experienced that, myself included, can ever really get it.
1: And what's, I mean, what's fascinating and what's really interesting to think about, because like, you know, you bring up a paper from 2014. Mm -hmm. You know, we're talking about a paper from, you know, almost a decade ago Mm -hmm. that there's so, there is so much information just in the title of that paper, you know? Like there's so much just kind of baked into that idea of, the ironic effects like what it would only be ironic if you expected that stigmatizing people would make fat people lose weight Yeah, well, doesn't like, it come on jeff doesn't that people, make they, everything right, right?
2: better
1: it turns <laughs> out it's i mean I, I i've missed i missed the boat on that you know like uh but so it's it's fascinating and like i i I'd love to be self-reflective about these things, you know, cause this mm. is like very early on in my career. Like, you know, 2014, 2013 is, you know, almost a decade ago. Of like when I was just starting out as a researcher, but even the idea of something being quote unquote ironic mm. connotes this idea that weight stigma should be good for people. Like it should absolutely motivate things. And like, I mean, I hate that the, like my most cited paper um, is like this paper, is this paper that has this idea built into and baked in and caked into the uh, title where mm. we're just kind of grappling with the idea that like it should be, it should work. Like, yeah, like the whole idea, absolutely. the whole idea is that weight stigma should work. And, and by work, I mean it should lead to reducing the weight of people. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It should get get rid of fatness. And we, we obviously know that does not fucking work at all. But what I love, what I love about that paper and about thinking about it since then is it really challenges me as a weight stigma researcher to think about my own framing.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are you bringing into this? And
1: yeah. Well, and we as weight stigma researchers should be thinking about what is our framing like when i was framing that in 2013 2014 i was framing it as what's the most effective way to lose weight yeah you know and this is and it's a true this is why i said like i don't like that it's like my most cited paper Uh, i hate you you know but we can we all grow we all become more sophisticated people but Mm -hmm. like to think back into my like uh dumpster fire of a past of, of <laughs> research, um, that perhaps that's sitting there. And to think about how I can reflect mm. on that and move forward is important.
2: I, 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 one, agree. And I, too, so appreciate it. And I, I really would love to share this anecdote of what came to me straight away is this really? undergrad class where I learned the phrase obesity paradox, which has that similar tone of the irony of weight stigma. And I, I struggled. Like I absolutely struggled. This was a new, I was like, Oh, Oh, but now obviously my perspective of that is I still struggle with the term for very different Hmm. reasons. I struggle with the language. I struggle with the inherent stigmatizing nature of the wording. And again, it's that, that's, Oh, hold on. So, all fatness is not a problem. And so therefore we have to call it a paradox. <laughs> it's in and, and yeah, yes,
1: exactly. Like in and,
2: and it it
1: has this. So I feel the exact same way about the like I absolutely adore Chip Lavi's work on the obesity paradox. Like he has done some fantastic work. So have folks at you know uh University of South Carolina. And but but the, the idea, like the, the idea of obesity paradox is only a paradox if you could never imagine a fat person being healthy. Like Absolutely. it's only a fucking paradox, excuse my language, um, if you could never picture in your head that someone could be higher body weight and also healthy.
2: Yeah, yeah. and and so yeah. without, without criticism, because I think that, that maybe I cut off your point. I'm so sorry. Just tell me to shut no. off. But no, I, no, 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 What I think I'm hearing is it's not that we throw everything out because as you said, there's value in a lot of this type of work and, and in all people's contributions, but the we have to consider the frame that that is coming in, right? So if that is what we're seeking, and I guess that's really what this entire <laughs> episode is about. If we are coming into this type of research looking for of course, fatness is a problem is our assumption. Of course, higher weight folks, first of all, we're even discussing them like they're a whole group of people. Like that's weird to be completely honest. I find that really weird. And that in itself is stigmatizing. So this is so complicated. Why did we start talking about this?
1: (laughs) I don't know. We're diving deep. We're diving deep in, deep into like what I think is like the most important thing now. Like you yeah. know, this is it. like maybe we have to have a second a uh, podcast visit, right? But right. Like this, but 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 I think it's important. Like I think that the things mm-hmm. that you're saying that we the the the, the new. So I mean, there, there are two things. There are two things. There's there's one that the language that we use when it comes to these things is so in, in so vital,
0: Absolutely.
1: and. I language matters. Are, it absolutely does. Like we do not pay enough attention to how we talk about
2: mm-hmm.
1: folks, we, how we talk about people, how we talk about people's bodies, how we talk about people's bodies yeah. in relation to, to one another. Like we, we are we are not doing enough to fully realize the ways that we should be talking about these things. Like we're we're, we're not doing enough to represent the, the actual folks when we study them their bodies when we are thinking about them and making sure that the language that we use maps onto the language that the communities that we are engaged with and want to study are using. And mm-hmm. that is, you know, this is, this is a, a big challenge. Like we, uh, you know, we should be doing more community-based participatory research mm-hmm. to make sure that the the language that we're using is mapping onto the language that folks um um, uh, in these communities that we're studying are using um so that's probably the the, the big
2: so Jeff you're a little mildly that might be putting it mildly but uh not loving the most cited paper of 2014 is the one that it is for you so let's let's kind of shift into this decade and also that's the first paper that I read of yours that you are a co-author on Um, which is just chef's kiss. It is the paper that I most commonly send to clients. It is the paper that I most commonly cite in general. It's been cited on this podcast before. So you're already famous, Jeff, obviously, in this community.
1: Thank you. I appreciate (laughs) it.
2: And so you're probably already going to know that that paper is titled uh, An Evidence-Based Rationale for Adopting Weight Inclusive Health Policy. Uh, As I said, it is chef's kiss. Um, I think that... Yeah, wow. Um, I think also something that really blew me away from my perspective just as a human in the world who struggles sometimes to speak on these counterculture, I hate that that's what it is, but it is these counterculture aspects of society that, that sometimes can feel pretty isolating. I felt like oh, there are like whole communities of people that feel and think this way. This is so, it felt really it felt really poignant to me just as a human and especially as a professional in the space. But I wonder if for those who are not familiar and maybe they're pausing and going to read it right now, but how do you feel about even just for yourself? Like that was six years. I mean, less in terms of actually the research being done, right? But yeah how do you feel like is that is that less embarrassment that level for you no I mean
1: yeah I think it's it's most certainly like it's um so I I love I yeah I, I'm sure as you and your audience know that I am very much open to being like a I am an open book when it comes to these things and like I love to let people know when I was just a complete shithead and completely wrong you know in my past ways in which I talk about these things Me too. like I love that like like <laughs> like i am, in my 2015 theory paper i also can see so many issues in my thinking mm-hmm. when i'm 7 years out from it like it's like the mm-hmm. we have the ben, we have the benefit of hindsight when we are so far from it and what i hope what i really hope is that folks see in my research and in my thinking progression that you know that mm-hmm. that i did take us from what in that that 2014 paper that is is fantastic i love the 2014 paper like i love it i it's it is a really interesting finding but the framing of it is like just not where i would be as mm. 2022 jeff um,
2: when we know better we do better
1: exactly 100% like when we know better we do better and so like mm. no, knowing that we can pull that into the the you know our our current time is super helpful and that's why I love the, the 2021 paper or 2020 paper. I, I should know this, but pandemic brain. 2020. <laughs> uh, pandemic brain. Um, you know, this is this was when we were much more deeply into thinking about these things through a lens that was rooted in social justice, that was rooted in fat positivity, that was a hundred percent escaped from the weight loss paradigm that we were working in, in 2013, 2014, 2015. Like I can admit that I was, that's where I was, you know, that's where I was in that, in that moment. And, and, you know, seven years later, I can feel comfortable in saying like, no, like we broke Mm -hmm. out of that. And we, we realized that we were like, just grotesquely wrong and can start thinking through All these different things through a a, a lens that is fat positive, a a lens that is weight inclusive, and just thinking through, like, all the different strategies that we can take to get folks to move past just, like, stepping on a scale when they go to the doctor's office and thinking through all the other different ways that they can operationalize. Like, when I'm in my doctor's office, am I healthy or not? Mm -hmm. Your weight on the scale, not super important. All these other things, yes, they're probably interesting to think about. Um, mm-hmm. But then also, again, at the end of that paper, we were like, you know, you also have to strive for health as being the thing that that's makes awesome. you moral or that, you know, like, and, and that's what I love about this paper is like, we talked about healthism at the end of it is like, yeah, I'm, I'm a health, I'm a social health psychologist. I'm going I'm going to always try to Support people and mm-hmm. get them closer to uh, a better health goal, but under no circumstances am I going to yoke their sense of health and well-being to who they are as a person.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I that that just that bit there. I believe I've also heard Linda Bacon speak on this yeah. um, as kind of one of the I guess earlier. Uh, writers on the health at every size kind of space, but this they they definitely talk about the fact that this is something they criticize in their own earlier work that was left out. Yeah. Um and and really that's I, I'm making an assumption, but if it's I think of my own experience, it's not having lived with discrimination about the body that I live in. So if we don't know, we don't know, we don't know to frame it, maybe and and I know you didn't use these words exactly, but that when you were talking about the language that really honours the community of humans that you're looking to study, I think that's where the, this world specifically, and I know that fat studies as a, as an area of academia is lived experience focused as it should be. Right. And, and so when I think of all of this and, and particularly that healthism aspect, I think what I was referring to, I guess it's, it's kind of that. That idea that I definitely am mindful of with clients as well, and actually, I, I have a, a, a short story about a client who once asked me towards the end of our kind of work together, and, and they were doing so well, and they were really happy with how they were starting to view body and, and food relationship, and they asked me, "Is it okay that I don't really care about this stuff?" And this stuff referred to you know, the concept of gentle nutrition and non-diet approach to health. And I was like, absolutely, it's okay. Like, this is your life. This is your call. Um, And I thought that was such, to me, that was a sign of how far they'd actually come. That if that was okay for them, if that felt safe for them, and that they also knew they could make other decisions if they decided to in the future. But that is not inherent to to a person morally as you said to pursue yeah. health and and obviously there we get that kind of messed up relationship with pursuing weight loss in the guise of health so i think that paper that you're the the lead author on that that how it is laid out i mean i can't say enough that that particularly if this is challenging for someone to hear i think where i really take jeff from that paper is that we're also it's just not that hard to do this. Like what is presented is not really that hard.
1: (laughs) It's, it's, it's actually not like I, like, I mean, one, uh, sorry, a a, a tiny aside. Like, I love that your, I love that your client got to that point of feeling, feeling, also feeling that level of comfort with you. You know, not only that, that their level of comfort of disengaging with diet culture and the disengaging with these things, but also feeling willing to admit that to you is huge, you know, like, I love that. And so that's fantastic. But like what you're saying exactly is like, yeah, this is like, I, I, I adore that paper. The (laughs) shit that we laid out in that paper is not, is not, is not, is not as radical as people would like to, uh, to paint it as you know like Absolutely. some people will paint it as radical and I I would say it's just like very basic like easy like one two three kind of approaches to to doing these things and Absolutely. it yeah it just it doesn't strike me as something that's too wild to mm. engage in
2: no I, and
1: I think the biggest the biggest hurdle um that I see uh, is trying to break into the medical establishment to figure mm-hmm. out how we how we can do that, how we can do all of the things that we laid out in that paper in the medical establishment in a way that sort of comports with what they expect and what they have you know like yeah. they've got their own kind of world and mm-hmm. so that, that that's going to be the, the the big next step for us is to trying to figure out how, how can we, how can we get into that system and adapt what we were thinking about in this paper to that system? Because yeah, that's agree. the big hurdle.
2: And it, and it, I mean, obviously the, the title itself referring to like health policy, that kind of top-down approach I think is, you know, vital, but I really hear you that the obstacle, and and I can think of, to be honest, unfortunately way too many clients that as we kind of touched on at the, the kind of top of the episode, avoid healthcare situations. I might be the first person they've seen in a decade. Mm. Um, and and that's fine if that's their choice, but I want to be clear that that's not their actual preference or choice. Um, the choice is made on wanting to avoid stigma and shame. Um, and so to know that there is, you know, I, th- I think this yeah, I can see it, I guess what I'm trying to say clinically, I can see that obstacle where we don't have the relationship or intersection with how medicine operates as a whole, as a, as a system of itself. Um, I I also really kind of want to just like reiterate, I think the, the paper itself really at the core, I think, why I don't think it's a big deal, why I don't think it's that radical is it's really just... A, a, a shift in perspective. Yeah, like, like I know I'm asking a lot here, but I don't really know if I am.
1: <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, the, the, that that's literally like the, the the phrase that I've said for two years since I've published that paper. Is like, I don't think I'm asking for too much, but maybe I am. Yeah. Um, but like, it's this is again not not to just like toot my own goddamn horn. Do but it, like when you do it, but but like but like when you read the paper because we spent so much time on that paper mm-hmm. janet and yeah. i spent so much time on that paper it's like we laid it out like we laid mm-hmm. it out pretty clear like we laid out the argument pretty clearly after 2 years of research on the topic mm-hmm. and so for to get any resistance to that is like but we did the work like we did the homework <laughs> like we we laid this out for you like tell me and then I, I get to the point where i'm like well then tell me with data like do not mm. if you don't if you if you have an issue with what i said and don't have data behind it i'm kind of gonna ignore you like yeah like, fair enough. come come to me with data after me spending two and a half years working with that paper with janet um mm. and then we'll have a conversation but like if you if your only disagreement is literally at the like intellectual or like highbrow level yeah and you don't have and you don't have any data to rebut all of the things that i just said like casually fuck
2: off like Mm. i am not so casually actually maybe yeah what what has been the if you had to kind of just like give a themed response just in general to that paper what what would you define it as Is there a word that comes to mind? I mean, I I will say it's been
1: shockingly positive. Like I, I love, so, so I love that. So this, and I mean, the reason you and I are talking is also an indication of this. Like this paper Mm -hmm. has been, has been, uh, so well received in nutrition Mm -hmm. beyond what I, my, my, my wildest dreams. Yay. Like like, like <laughs> literally I never expected to be having this conversation with you because mm-hmm. of that paper. Like we put that paper out there as like a labor of love and we never really expected anything to happen from it. And it has been cited wildly. Mm-hmm. Um folks folks that are on the ground like you have reached out and like I've just been floored absolutely floored by the feedback that we've gotten from this. Like mm-hmm. I would have never expected a situation like we are in right now where I would have this paper having been cited 50 times already in two years. And we're talking about its impact in the nutrition space. Like I'm it's, thrilled about this.
2: Shit. I, I, I'm, like, thrilled like, I'm thrilled too. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I thank you so much for, all your contributions, and I really like want to call out the, that sounds like negative. I feel like that has a negative connotation. I want to celebrate that. I don't think enough of us show that growth, show that maybe cringe sometimes. I know I cringe at pretty much everything I've ever said up until maybe right now. <laughs> so I, I really, I think that that is, something I personally work on in this space is remembering and leading with my humanity and and that I support other humans and that's how I think of it and that is maybe stupidly idealistic but that's how that's how I feel and I I thank you so much for all of the maybe what you see as cringe and stumbling blocks and like oh goodness was that what I was thinking because like it, it got you to hear um it's yeah. so. I, yeah, I truly hand on heart. Thank you. And as well for your time today, Jeff. Thank you.
1: I honestly, I appreciate you taking time to let me come to talk with you and talk with you and and speak to your audience because like, you know, these things are close to my heart. Like, you know, they are close to what I do. uh, And we oftentimes as academics do not have the opportunity to just step out of our (laughs) normal life. Uh, ivory tower bullshit um, as you know and uh, get to have these conversations and so like I can't thank you enough for having me
0: all right so Jeff and I talk about weight stigma and its impacts we talk about how they're so-called ironic as Jeff you know cringes about when he thinks of his younger researcher self and I really want to dedicate the back end of this episode to spelling what what that is let's spell out weight stigma from the perspective of health outcomes. And so first, let's like make this really practical. Let's consider the behavioral consideration here. So let's imagine that Becky has been stigmatized because of her weight. So her being encouraged to move her body, you know, hey, movement is so great for you. That's a behavioral encouragement. Her being encouraged to move her body can actually in and of itself feel like a threat. Because if she has faced weight stigma within a gym environment, why the fuck would she want to go back? And I see this a lot with folks, even from the sense, as I share with Jeff, they don't want to see a doctor, even though they need to, because of the stigma that they will likely face and they have faced in the past. And I see this clinically, and I also see it in the large pool of evidence in this area in relation to disordered eating behaviors. So Becky, she's experienced weight stigma, she has this enormous pressure on her to lose weight, and that stigma in itself is actually associated with her consuming more food than she probably wants or feels like. The stigma does nothing good for her, even though I know that's our whole public health campaign is just make fat folks feel really bad about themselves and they'll just do a better job, apparently, like a better job is apparently a smaller body. How demoralizing to consider pursuing health-enhancing behaviors like visiting a doctor when all that's ever discussed is your weight or up front, that's what's blamed, like it's your problem and your fault and you did this. And also because that discussion in itself is stigmatizing. So that's more behavioral. Why the hell would they want to? If, if that's if that's what this Becky is facing, why would they want to go back there? But also, that is not a safe place to explore. And really, this is crossing over into a physi- physiological level now. So we can see in a really ever-growing body of evidence that even Becky perceiving herself as overweight is actually future-associated, so prospectively associated, with the biomarkers that we would commonly talk about being caused by weight weight increase so some of these you're going to be very familiar with so blood pressure cholesterol blood glucose levels it's assumed weight goes up those those get worse but the perception that Becky is overweight is actually associated with those being you know becoming worse markers and this also includes weight cycling disordered eating eating disorders and poor body image all which are health concerns And let's add in there the the impact of intergenerational trauma here. If Becky's mom and maybe dad and cousin and whoever else had these experiences through their love, as, as messed up as it is, their love, they're trying to really their own trauma. They're trying to protect Becky from going through that. So maybe as a child, they take her to the doctor to try and lose weight. And that is deeply impactful on Becky's life and her health. Across a four-year longitudinal study, so that's where we track people over over a period of time, this was a study of 6,157 adults in the U.S. So that's a big study. The humans in that who experienced weight stigma were two and a half times more likely than those who were not stigmatized to become obese. And this was found even after controlling for other factors that matter, again, Jeff and I talked about that, like age, like ethnicity. So whilst gaining weight is not inherently pathological and is actually often a sign of healing, what we're seeing again here is this so-called paradox, you know, this irony, well, through the lens of fat phobia, it's irony, whereby weight stigma actually begets more weight gain. So what I'm saying is (laughs) the more that we stigmatize folks, the more weight that they will gain. And that's not inherently problematic of its own, except that their health is suffering as a result, not because of the weight all the stuff that goes with it, the stigma in itself. So when you see someone who you think can eat whatever they want and their body doesn't really change so much, what you will also notice, look for it, is an absence of weight stigma. They have been allowed to be safe in their body. And I'm going to put my hand up and say that's me. So in place of the evidence that we've never seen, that doesn't exist, where there's constantly... this this idea about BMI being the driver or BMI being higher as the driver of disease development, in place of the fact that we've never seen that to be the truth after we control for weight stigma, after we control for socioeconomic factors, what if we actually begin to fully see, acknowledge and account for the fact that stigma is part of this full story? And then, hey, let's go a step further and let's fucking eradicate it we need to stop incorrectly associating larger weight bodies with health issues and we also need to remember that the stress and the shame experienced from stigma actually is the thing that can lead to so many of the conditions that we associate with fatness and underneath all of this is fat phobia an anti-fat bias you know the research itself Approaches human issues without humanity and instead leads with fat phobia. The titles of these papers cited throughout this episode, there's 10 of them, are pretty much all stigmatizing in their titles. They are research on humans trying to help, and they're not seeing the fat phobia inherently built into them. So, fat phobia really is an inherent belief that fat bodies are not as valuable, not as good as thin ones. It can be a fear, an actual fear of gaining of gaining weight or gaining fat. and And really, fat phobia speaks to this this really true statement that we can feel, and by true, I mean we feel it to be true, that weight is hundred percent within your control. it's a choice, and that there is this sense of obligation in the world that we should be trying to control it. So fat phobia can be internalized for those who who actually live in larger bodies but also externalized onto others, and the, the former drives the latter. Those self-judgments of our size actually reflect to society at large, and it's this bias, it's this phobia that keeps diet culture strong and why we see the stigma, this discrimination against, against larger bodies, even from the self, even from fat people who hate fat people. I see it online all the time. So to wrap up this, I know this has been a big exploration. If you've gone away, if I've lost you in my rant, please come back. I hope you can hear how how deeply I care about this. And I care because no human deserves to be treated like that ever for no reason. So a few things to wrap up. Please know that fat phobia is a belief that can be held by anybody. It's not your fault. It doesn't make you a bad person. If you notice defensiveness... Just notice that. Having fat phobic beliefs in and of itself does not make you a terrible person. I'm going to actually suggest we probably all hold them. You you and I, we don't exist in a vacuum. We are influenced by everything around us. But this part is the part that's not okay. If you learn, I hope if you're brand new to this, this episode has been enlightening. If by learning that fat phobia and weight stigma actually causes harm and you you choose, because then it's a choice to not unlearn it, that's not okay. I'd also invite you to consider one, just one initial step that you could take on this path is just stop commenting on bodies, full stop. Even when you think it's a compliment, oh, you've lost weight, you look so good. That statement upholds weight stigma and fat phobia because it implies there's a better body to have. The one before wasn't as good. The resources for this episode, as I mentioned, there's 10 papers. That's a lot of papers. They're there for you to dive in. I've included the links in the notes, and they are another step to your unlearning. Many of them are open access, so there's no gatekeeping of this critical knowledge. And that's because the authors, people like Dr. Hunger, they make sure that their work is available because it's so valuable. It shouldn't be gatekept. And I'm also going to include some incredible books and other resources in this space. A few more things. It is also truly imperative that you know you can't solely learn about this area or unlearn it from folks who look like me. I don't have the experience of weight stigma, so please learn from fat folks. Whether or not they educate directly on stigma and health at every size or not, just listen. Listen. Learn, get a sense of what their experiences are like. If, like me, you don't know, you know how I know about weight stigma because I listen, and it's still not my place to teach on it. it. I can't be your only source. I am forever sharing the work of incredible humans who also live in fat bodies on my socials, so you can see that. Also, some links a lot of links that I've included in the notes for this episode. And, you know, beginning to address this fat phobia, this anti-fat bias, or even internalized fat phobia, if that's what you're living with, can be, to quote Ashley Bennett, and she's a psychotherapist and counsellor here in Australia, so to quote her, this can be a missing piece in overcoming poor body image and low self-worth, end quote. Ashley actually offers a self-paced online program that you can enroll in, and again, I will include a link in the notes. You know, challenging fat phobia is is a core part of the food and body freedom work I do with clients. And my last invitation, I promise, especially to folks who face weight stigma, is to find community. And that extends to finding the right healthcare professionals who can and will advocate on your behalf. You deserve it. And there is power in numbers. Whether that's, you know, referrals to someone else they know who's safe or just simply knowing that you have support because you deserve it. To find all of the links, lots and lots of links from today's exploration, all of the notes from today's exploration of why fat isn't the problem we think stigma is, head to my website, NadiaFelsch.com forward slash podcast. Alternatively, you'll find the link in your podcast player. Thank you for joining me. See you next time.